It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Anthony Curtis, who is one of the most recognized and quoted Las Vegas experts in the world. He's the author of Bargain City, Booking, Betting, and Beating the New Las Vegas, and he's co-author of The Art of Gambling. Anthony also is publisher and CEO of Huntington Press and the Las Vegas Advisor, a Las Vegas consumer newsletter. Huntington Press's latest book is Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada by Chris Andrews. For more information, go to lasvegasadvisor.com. And Anthony, welcome back to the show. Good to be here, Ira. It's been a couple of years, I think. It has. I always try to get you in at least every two or three years, and I I think it was time for you to come back. I call you the James Brown of publishing. You're the hardest working man in publishing. (laughs) So (laughs) I just got to start screaming. Do I feel good or something like that? Exactly. Of course. (laughs) You have an interesting background. You know, it's funny, in all the times we've talked in the past, we we haven't really talked too much about your past because I've known you forever since the since the dinosaurs roamed the desert in Mojave, uh, but you had originally attended Duke and UCLA on a wrestling scholarship, and you moved to Las Vegas in 1979. You were a wee pup at the time, and you started to get into publishing. And what you've built, and it always amazes me, is this entrepreneurial empire, which is although you have obviously a staff and very qualified writers and authors, and it's still in the Anthony Curtis world, a one-man show. So how did you decide to start this whole enterprise and, and then expand it? Well, you know, I mean, the, the reason, I'm, I'm really impressed, your history is, is pretty much right on. I mean, you've got, you've got everything. I mean, I look at my, uh, there's a Wikipedia submission in there uh, online about me, and, and it's always wrong. It's always got the wrong date. I came to Vegas. It's always got <laughs> made-up information and everything else, but uh, everything you said is uh, is accurate. Um, I came here specifically, uh, I dropped out of college. You know, as you mentioned, I went to UCLA. I was going to wrestle there, and I don't think any Michigan guy in his right mind gets to the beach in California and decides to go into a wrestling. Place, you know? <laughs> so that's, that kind of didn't didn't quite didn't quite take. Unless and, you unless you consider wrestling the surf. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's exactly that's pretty much more what I wanted to do. But what I was doing during all this time in college was I was I was reading books about uh, about gambling and the mathematics of gambling and specifically blackjack because. You know, it was a beatable game, and um, and I somebody put a book into my hands early, and I was like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. I think I can do this, and so that's what I was preparing to do. And when I turned 21, I was at UCLA or preparing to go into UCLA, and I didn't um, I didn't go through with it, and uh, I moved out to Vegas, and I started playing, and um, I got together. You know, by now, you know, we've had books and movies about counting cards. You know, the movie 21 uh, came from the book Bringing Down the House, and and those, you know, people who have seen that know about card counting teams and so forth. And I, well, I played on a parallel team to the team that was featured in that movie. And um, while it was, it was a good thing to do, I mean, we were successful and, and uh, I was making money and it, it all made sense. It became obvious to me that uh, it wasn't going to last forever because there's a shelf life with things like that. You can only win so long before the casinos begin to get on to you and, and they won't let you play anymore. So I just um, had a thought, is that, you know, the things that I learned in Vegas and 
ways to make ends meet when I was getting started and, and frugal ways to, to get around the city and take advantage were something that people would like, and, and that's where the Las Vegas Advisor came from. So it was really out of necessity. I just knew I'd have to do something after gambling, and, and it became publishing. And what's interesting is the combination of the two. In other words, the Huntington Press side, you have a fascinating array of books, and we can talk a little bit about that. On the other side is the Las Vegas Advisor, which, as I mentioned, is a consumer newsletter, and it's full of value, coupons, suggestions, etc. And it's a monthly, so you have, you're constantly on the go. I, I know you have a staff and you have writers, but still, you're out and about, and you know, you're not 21 anymore. <laughs> so nope. that's why I call you the hardest working man in, in publishing. You still have to go and get those offers. You still have to look and see what's available. And you have a top 10 list, which we could talk about as well. But it's fascinating to me in terms of how you bifurcated your business in the sense that you have the book publishing side, and then you have the newsletter side, two yeah. different rhythms, as I would call it, two different deadlines, right. so to speak. Yeah, well, you know, as far as the newsletter goes, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm out there doing most of the research most of the time. And, and the reason is that I'm the um, I'm kind of the, the the one to measure it against. I measure it against things I've done, you know, before. You know, how does this compare to something I had five years ago or ten years ago when everybody said value was better? You know, uh, how have the prices changed and so forth? It's 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 actually easy because I really enjoy Vegas. I've always loved Vegas and I enjoy being out there. So going to new places and trying new things is just a matter of course. So I'm having I'm kind of having fun while I'm working. So every time I go out to get a beer, I, I keep the, you know, the receipt. So I, I've got prices. Every time I have a, a meal, I take photos of the food and, you know, we, we do a write-up on it. So basically, if, or if I see a show or if I go to a lounge act or whatever, everything becomes fodder for the newsletter and, uh, and one leads into the other. Now the books, you know, that's something a little bit different because that means uh, being tethered to your desk. You know, that means sitting here and, and, editing and, and going through it, and I have editors and all, but when it comes to the, the, the hard gambling information, I'm the one who has to be the, the final decision maker on there. And, you know, I'm working on one right now called the 21st Century Card Counter, and it's a new book on counting cards and, like, how you do it in these days and, you know, compared to the old days. And, and I'm the guy who has to do the, the big edit on that because, you know, I'm the guy with the expertise there. So, yep, it, uh, they're kind of two different things, but they're kind of the same, and they they all go into what I came here to do. So I came here to gamble and hang out in Vegas, and that's what I end up writing about. <laughs> and the passion, obviously, judging by what I'm hearing in your voice, is still there after all these years. Oh, I love it. I don't get, you know what, I don't get, I don't get bored with it. Sometimes when, uh, when the deadlines come, I go, man, I, you know, I, maybe I've had enough of this. Maybe I'm sick of this. But, you know, it, that's maybe one or two days of a little bit of misery, and then all of a sudden it's fun again. And the deadline's over and the pressure's off and you're back to doing fun things and getting ready to write about it next month. So, yeah, I still dig it. Um, I can't imagine what I'd do. I, I, I wouldn't want to retire. I'll tell you that. Well, there's two things about your approach that I find interesting. One is you obviously love Las Vegas. You have appeared on national and local media over the decades talking about Las Vegas and all kinds of permutations. But at the same time, you mentioned earlier about going for a drink, seeing a show. You don't get comps. You pay for those. Yes. Yeah, that's one thing that we've always done. We've uh, we've we've always done it different from the media. We're we're different in a couple of ways, which which I think has uh, contributed a lot to our, to our success. One is we we do it from the from the customer's point of view. So if we don't pay for something, you know, and that includes parking, you know, if we don't pay for parking when we go to to eat something on you know one of the big strip casinos, then we don't get the full you know impact of it. 
And, you know, when, when I've gotten to the point now where I'm like a lot of the, the probably the listeners or, or our readers going, I start to avoid places where I've got to pay for parking because I don't want to go pay for, you know, an expensive meal and then pay another 15, 20 bucks for parking on top of it. So we always make it a point to pay for what we do as often as we possibly can. Now, you know, to say that I don't go to the occasional uh, show opening, which is, which is free to the media, you know, that's not true. I do that. And in the beginning, I tried to pay for that. And all it did was cause a bunch of problems and make people like you when you were working in the casinos kind of irritated that I wouldn't take a comp. So we do that a little bit. For the most part, though, we pay for it. The other thing is we can kind of say it the way it is. Right. You know, we get calls from the the national media all the time. So since we're not, you know, we're not taking comps and we're not taking ads, we can basically say it the way it is. You know, I mean, like right now, uh, MGM casinos are are gouging the hell out of customers and, uh, I might be the only one who will say that to the media. And, and so that all works really well for us. You mentioned about the parking. That's part of that, what I would call gouging. Uh, the parking fees that MGM and also Caesars inaugurated a while back. I agree with you. I think the locals have a different view than visitors who are used to, perhaps in their own cities, paying for parking. But it really is a bone of contention with locals. And even though we have people listening from all over the world, I'd like to address that with you just a little bit in the sense that because you're going around and you're experiencing what your customers are experiencing, and because you are local, you are paying, in many cases, for parking. Right. So do you see, if I had to ask you to get your crystal ball out, which I don't know if you have it on your desk or not, or the, or the Magic 8 Ball, one of those two, do you see at some point these two large corporations taking another look and saying, you know, we, we may have stepped in it here. Uh, yeah, I, yes, I do. And, um, you know, let's, let's take a step back in your question. Um, we find, you know, the Las Vegas Advisor is interesting. We've got about 15,000 subscribers to it, and uh, 95% of them are from outside of Nevada. So we've got 95, only 5% local. Um, of course, the locals hate parking. We hear that all the time. You know, they kick and scream. But also our out-of-staters feel the same way about it. Um, a lot of them drive to town, or a lot of them rent cars when they come to town, so they still have to deal with it. And the thing about parking was, if you think about it, when people come to Las Vegas, everyone hears about getting comped. And not many people get comped. You know, you've got to play at a certain level to really get comped, or you've got to use your slot club points. But really, the first, the first level of comps, the fundamental comp that every single person who came to Vegas used to get is free parking. So when you pull that free parking away, You've taken away the one comp that some people can get. Now, the next comp would be free drinks when you're playing. So most people can still get those. But you've taken away the very first comp that a person can get as a visitor when they come to town. And hence, you know, a lot of the backlash there. Now, what's going to happen going forward with this? Um, I do think that Caesars and MGM and Cosmopolitan, which, by the way, are the only three casino companies that now have the paid parking on the Strip, because recently, Wynn Las Vegas and Encore have rescinded their parking fees, and they've gone back to you know to free parking. I think once Wynn did that, I think it's going to make the others take notice, and I think they're going to fight against it, and they're going to fight against it as long as they can. But I think eventually they will have to, because the customer, you know, Wynn did not rescind their parking fees because everything was going peachy. You know, I mean, as we wrote in the newsletter, Wynn didn't do it to be nice. They did it because something was wrong in terms of what they were seeing on their balance sheets. And the customers were, you know, revolting against it. Now that Wynn has done it, now that Sands has not done it at Venetian and Palazzo, I think that uh, Caesars and MGM and Cosmopolitan are going to have to take a real hard look at it. Well, wouldn't you say also the Wynn decision may have also been partly PR from all the battering they, they had because of 
Steve Wynn's resignation and all the, the follow-through on that, that maybe that was a way to make the reputation a little bit better by offering free parking again? You know, it might have been a tiebreaker. You know, I, I, I think that they may have looked at it and said, well, if we do this, that's also going to be good for us in, you know, in this realm. But I don't think the two really equate that much. I don't think that, you know, people who really watch the industry, you really get into the Steve Wynn thing and what happened. You know, everybody heard about it because, you know, he was sort of the face of our city. And so everybody knew what was going on, but then it was kind of over with. Um, I don't think that a lot of, there was a lot of pushback people going, okay, because of what Steve Wynn did, we're not going to win properties. I don't think it was that sort of a thing. So there's a little bit of a connection there, but I don't think so. I honestly believe that Wynn did it because they took a look at their visitation. They took a look at, at certain things on their, you know, on their reports, their financial reports, and said, this isn't doing us any good. I noticed, too, when you do go to those properties that have paid parking, it's not as simple as it appears to get out of the parking lot. Uh, even if you have an, a card that supposedly gives you free parking, you're not quite sure where to put the card into the device. And it usually it's when you're leaving, you have to discuss it with the parking attendant and work yeah. it out. You know, it's, it's funny. All of, those, all of the places have to have attendants right there because so many people get sort of bumfuzzled by the whole thing. Exactly. They're not sure how to do it. Right. Um, overall, I would have to say that you know, obviously, we went through the process many times, and we've written about it on LVA and on our website. And I'd have to say that they've done a very good job. You know, for the most part, you can connect the dots and you can follow through. But most people, you know, think about it. You go to a casino, and you're out there, and you're partying, and you're having fun, and maybe you had a couple of drinks, and you come out, and you go, okay, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to try to figure this thing out. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting there, and you're holding up the line because you don't know where to put your card. So they've got to have a tendency. <laughs> I just think it was a, it was a really um, um, not well thought out and ill-advised strategy to implement. Um, they've gone so far at Caesars and, and MGM that, you know, they're kind of backed themselves into a corner. But I still think that eventually you'll, you'll, see, you'll see them change that or at least make it so that you can get a validation if you do something in the casino. Oh, yes. That's what's really bad about it. That you go into a casino, you pay a lot for a show, you pay a lot for food and drink, you gamble at games that are engineered to beat you, and you have to pay for the, you know, for the right to do it. <laughs> if you're going to go in there and do those things, you should be able to validate your ticket the way you've always been able to do downtown. And for locals who originally would go to a strip resort to take a client or potential client to lunch, now they're going to get stuck paying that parking fee as well. Yeah, and, and probably the client's fee, too, if they're going to meet there. I mean, yeah. how do you, how do you, I've, I've gone through that where people go, let's meet at, uh, let's meet at the Mirage. I'm like, I don't want to meet at the Mirage. I don't want to, you know, of course, there's a good workaround for parking at the Mirage. I mean, you can, you can park at TI, but I mean, you know, it's, overall, it's, it's, it's just a mess over for, for everybody concerned. And I, I think that eventually that you're going to see all of them go back to some version of, of an ability to, to park for free. Yeah, that'll be good news. Let's take a break. My guest, Anthony Curtis, he's one of the most recognized and quoted Las Vegas experts in the world. He's the author of Bargain City, Booking, Betting, and Beating the New Las Vegas, and co-author of The Art of Gambling. He's also publisher and CEO of Huntington Press and the Las Vegas Advisor, a Las Vegas consumer newsletter. Huntington Press's latest book is Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada by Chris Andrews. For more information, go to lasvegasadvisor.com. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. 
Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Anthony Curtis, who is one of the most recognized and quoted Las Vegas experts in the world. He's the author of Bargain City, Booking, Betting, and Beating the New Las Vegas, and he's co-author of The Art of Gambling. Anthony also is publisher and CEO of Huntington Press and the Las Vegas Advisor, a Las Vegas consumer newsletter. Huntington Press's latest book is Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada by Chris Andrews. For more information, go to lasvegasadvisor.com. And Anthony, I do want to talk about that book in a second, but just on the nature of fees, there's also the famous and dreaded resort fee. What's your stand on, on that? Well, resort fees are, you know, they're equally hated, uh, along with parking fees, parking fees more so. Um, but there's a big difference in the two. And the difference is that with resort fees, everyone's doing it. So there's really no way around it. You know, when the first big hotel uh, instituted resort fees in Vegas, the next one came on, the next one, and just about everyone's doing it. Of all the major casinos, there is only one in Las Vegas that does not charge a resort fee, and that's the Four Queens. So there's not much of a choice there. Parking was different. You know, you know first it was MGM, then it was Caesars, then it was Wynn, then it was Cosmopolitan, and then it was nobody. Nobody else did it. So the customer has a, uh, the, you know, the visitor or the local has a choice. You can go to a place where you don't have to pay. Resort fees, if you're coming in and you want to come to Vegas, you want to stay in Vegas, there is not much choice. So resort fees, unfortunately, is something that's going to stick. Do you think they'll ever get to a point where they would just incorporate the resort fee into the room rate and just have it, this is the room rate, which includes the, the resort fee, so that way, or even not even mention the resort yeah. fee. Just well, to, that's a big, yeah, that's everybody's beef about it. It's like, why, if you want to raise prices, why don't you just raise prices? But they don't do that. And the major reason they do it, one is, there's two reasons for it. One is they want a low base rate. They want to be able to promote, hey, our rate is 28 bucks. Hey, our rate is 27 Now, we're not going to tell you that's another $22 on top of it, so our rate's really 50 you know, or 55 but, you know, one is they want to be able to, to promote that lower, lower base fee. The other is that they've, they've painted themselves into a corner with what are known as OTAs, which are online travel agencies. These are the, the Expedias and the Travelocities and the places that you go to, to, um, to, to book your, you know, your stays online. They pay a very hefty fee, um, uh, affiliate fee, to the OTAs when they book through there. So, you know, on the order of 30, 35%, sometimes more. When they charge the resort fee, they don't have to split that. So it's a, that's the main reason that resort fees were brought into play, so they could get out of the, you know, underneath the thumb of the OTAs, split the base rate, and keep the, keep the resort fee for themselves. Although I understand there was something in the news the other day about the fact that they're looking at now charging, for example, some of these online booking uh, sites are looking to charge a percentage of even the resort fee. Well, you know, I mean, they're going to they're going to try to get their share of that revenue. But the way that the contracts were originally written, 
the, you know, they couldn't get a piece of that. So the resort fee was the brainchild of somebody who said, okay, we need to make more, more money. We need to raise the rate, but we don't need, need to give them 30% of it, so we're going to do it this way. Now, what the, what the OTAs are going to do is come back and say, okay, we're not going to work with you anymore if you don't give us a share of that, and then that's going to be an interesting battleground. We'll see what happens. Right, and it could be that the contract expires after a certain period of time. They renegotiate the contract to include a percentage yeah, of that Yeah, the problem is, fee. though, is so many people book online. You know, today's world, you know, with your smartphones and everything else, so many people want to... Ira, they do everything online. They get they date online. They you know yeah, order true. food online. They right. buy they buy shoelaces. They buy they buy <laughs> shoes. You know, so true. the the OTAs have that power. Going okay, fine, don't pay us. We're not going to book you anymore, and see how much you like that. So it's going it's going to be interesting to see which one wins out. Yeah, it'll be an interesting battle. I mentioned uh, the book that your latest book is called Then One Day: Forty Years of Bookmaking in Nevada by Chris Andrews. This is fascinating in the sense that people think of bookmaking in a couple of different ways. There's the famous illegal bookmaking that preceded the beginning of Las Vegas, and then there's the legal bookmaking, both of which still exist in the United States and around the world, I'm sure. So how did you decide that this would be a good book to publish in terms of the history of bookmaking, specifically in Nevada? Well, not only only a good book, but a good uh, subset of gambling. And this all began, and we're talking about sports betting, and this began a year ago when the Supreme Court, you know, uh, overturned the rule. I am not going to say struck down. I tell you, I am so tired of reading about how the Supreme Court struck down the law. Okay, well, anyway, they reversed something called PAPSPA, and it it made it so that sports betting could, could move across the United States and be legalized in other states, and it's happening right now. There are like seven or eight states where sports betting is not legal. So we took on here uh, almost 10 books, nine or 10 books we've taken on, different areas of sports betting. And the first one that happened to come you know, off that conveyor belt was this one from an actual bookmaker, which is Chris Andrews. Now, Chris, is the, he's worked at several places um, in Las Vegas. He's worked up at the Calneva in Reno, and currently he is the uh, sports book director at South Point. So he's been doing it, you know, as the subtitle says, for 40 years. And it's very interesting. We thought it was a really good place to start since we're going to have, you know, like I say, up to a dozen books on betting sports. We thought it would be really good to have one from a bookmaker's perspective. And it does two things. One is it sort of uh, indoctrinates people who don't know a lot about it into what sports betting is all about. It gives you an inside look to how it goes from the other side of the counter and what goes into, you know, a bookmaker's thinking when they make lines. It tells some really good stories, so you can see how much fun sports betting is. This book is is full of fantastic stories, but we also made sure that we explained a lot of sports betting jargon in this book. So throughout the book, there are explanations of what these terms mean and how to make bets and, you know, things that you might hear sports better say or you might hear when you're in a casino or, um, tech, you know, things that you have techniques and tactics that you have to do to actually bet sports are explained in this book. So there was a method to the madness of doing this one first. Well, we talked earlier about booking rooms online, and now we're at the point of bookmaking online, I would think. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's one of the biggest things. Uh, you know, in Nevada, you can, you can bet at just about every single sports book through mobile apps. Now, you've got to be in Nevada to do it, but you don't have to go into the casino. So, you know, you can stay at home and bet sports in your underwear, as they say. And avoid or, the you know, smoke. Yeah, and avoid the smoke and avoid the avoid the parking fee. As we were <laughs> yeah. saying, you know, before. But, you know yeah. this is what's going on right. um, throughout the United States. 
is this big decision about whether do they do they have mobile betting or do they not. Most of the places that have opened have been for bricks and mortar betting only. Only a couple of states have allowed mobile, but those states that have allowed mobile, New Jersey being being the the poster child for it, have been by far the most um, successful. So yeah, mobile betting is something that's going to take hold everywhere eventually. One thing that always intrigued me about you is that despite your accomplishments in the entrepreneurial world, and again, the, you have the book publishing side and the newsletter publishing side, you always keep your nose to the grindstone, so to speak. You are relentless and you have that drive and you have that passion and you don't get caught up in the ego part of it in the sense that, again, I mentioned earlier, you appear on a lot of national media, local media, talking about things and relating to Las Vegas, but you always have that work ethic that drives you to the exclusion of all this other puffery and flattery and all that kind of stuff. Is you that just like I'm getting right now from you? Yes, <laughs> like exactly, right, like you're getting from me, exactly. But I mean it sincerely, but my point is you don't let that affect you in any way in terms of your day-to-day activities. Well, I think I can tell you the reason for that. You know, there's, there's two reasons. I work hard because, you know, fear of failure, for one. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, a good one. Fear yeah. of failure is always out there. So, right. you know, you don't want to go through all these years doing it and then all of a sudden, you know, have everything go, go the other direction. Two is, is that there's just so many opportunities that continue to open up. You know, we just talked about sports betting, and it's just thrilling to me. Every, every time I turn around, there's another opportunity. So there's no reason to stop. I, I wouldn't want to. I'd, I'd feel unfulfilled if I didn't try to do that. Third thing, you know, if you want to talk about being humble, it's because I meet so many brilliant people in this business. You know, with just about every single thing I talk about, I'm not the top expert in. I mean, I seem to know a lot about a lot of things because, because I pay attention and I know people. But everywhere I go, I'm meeting guys who, who do it better than me. And I'm like, wow. So I don't want to get cocky because then they'll look at me and, and tell me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the, the future of Las Vegas in the next five to ten years, from your vantage point and from your business vantage point, what do you see as maybe the top one or two trends that will change Las Vegas from one direction to another? Well, for one thing, I don't think it's going to change much, uh, change much. I mean, it's going to be the same model. We're going to, you know, we're going to keep seeing the strip building and, you know, bigger and better restaurants and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's not that we can have big giant edifices on the strip, but look, but actually look around. You've got, you've got uh, Resorts World, you know, going up and where the Stardust used to be. You've got, uh, you know, what was going to be the Fountain Blue is going to be the Drew. You know, these are big, giant casino resorts that are going up. You know, we've got the, we've got the Raider Stadium. We've got the uh, MS, MSG Sphere, you know, I mean, these arenas and these, these uh, entertainment venues. So it's going to be more of the same as far as I can see. It's just going to get bigger. You know, it's going to get bigger and better. They're going to find out where, you know, the price points have to stop, where the gouging has to stop, and, and Vegas is going to continue to grow. I think the big thing that's going to affect things going forward is what we've been talking about is that sports betting is going to become the new poker you know for a long time it was poker 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 that's the whole new thing uh, the casino is still what it is but poker is a driver of, of bringing in new people i think we're going to see that with sports betting and the guy who's the cutting edge there is Derek stevens downtown you know he's building his new casino circa uh, on the spot where the las vegas club used to be on the corner there at the end of fremont street he's going to have the biggest sports book in the world and I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, sports betting contests and things like that. New personalities coming out of sports betting. It's going to go hand in hand with the Vegas Golden Knights and the Raiders and everything else. Derek always struck me. Derek Siemens always struck me as a showman and a guy that is not afraid 
to take on challenges in terms of developing his properties in that general area downtown. Yeah, Derek's an amazing guy. Derek's a gambler. See, that's you know that's one of the main things about him. He really understands the business because he's a gambler at heart. Um, he and I met years and years ago when I was playing professionally, and we would uh, infiltrate. By we, I mean me and my teammates. We would infiltrate big tournaments at the big casinos, posing as high rollers and getting into these you know million dollar tournaments and so forth. And uh, Derek was a high roller back then, and he and I met on a crap table. And uh, to have him tell it, I cut him up pretty good. <laughs> and he remembered that, and uh, he said, uh, boy, something's going on with this guy, the way he plays. And, and we've ended up being friends, and uh, I've watched him operate. He's, he's something else. Another Michigan guy, man. These, yeah. These Michigan yeah. guys, you got to watch out for them. You do, and, and get those hot dogs. Exactly. <laughs> One last thing before I let you go, and that's back to the future for Las Vegas. The one challenge that I see is generational in the sense that when you and I came to town, the culture was different. The gaming and the entertainment, uh, or in those days, the gambling and the entertainment were different. You said it's not going to change too much, and I agree with you, but at the other, on the other side of it, or the other hand, you have the generational change. So you have millennials, and then you have younger and younger generations coming right. up. Do you see any changes in Las Vegas based on the new demographics? Well, you know, we, we've already seen the, the big change over the past, it's actually 20 years. It's, it, it's hard to, to believe, but it's been 20 years of the, the move to the big clubs, you know, the nightclubs. Right. You know, it basically started with Club Rio way back in the early 90s. And, uh, and then it got going in the, you know, around 2000, the, the turn of the century with all the really big clubs. And, you know, that, that was a pretty brilliant move in that it, it captured a lot of people who had never come in for the, for the old reasons to gamble and, and do things, you know, to, just to drink and gamble. Now, I think we're seeing a little bit of a, a kickback and a move away from the mega clubs. Uh, I've, I've seen some recent data and some stories about, you know, they're kind of looking to go to smaller venues, but still having this, this very big social, you know, kind of nightclub hangout uh, atmosphere. And that was a big move that kind of pulled the younger group into it. But remember, millennials are going to get older, you know. All of a sudden, the 20-somethings and 30-somethings are going to be 40s and 50s. And, you know, they're going to start gravitating to, you know, some of the old ways as well. So I don't see, you know, I don't see a lot of changes. I, I just see the, you know, they're trying to do it with games, skill-based games in the casinos. They're, they're kind of falling flat, and I think you're going to see what worked before is going to work in the, in the future. And, and Vegas isn't going to change that much except to get big, bigger and better and maybe a little more expensive. Well, that's a great way to end it. My guest has been Anthony Curtis, one of the most recognized and quoted Las Vegas experts in the world. He's the author of Bargain City, Booking, Betting, and Beating the New Las Vegas, and co-author of The Art of Gambling. He's also publisher and CEO of Huntington Press. Check out their books. And the Las Vegas Advisor, a Las Vegas consumer newsletter. Huntington Press's latest book is Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada by Chris Andrews. For more information, go to lasvegasadvisor.com. And Anthony, thanks for being on the show. All right, Ira, don't wait five years to call me next time. Okay, fair enough. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Be Las Vegas.